Well, it is a privilege to be with you this morning and to open and study this word together. But when we look at this word, this particular story of, of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appearing before these disciples, it's a reminder to us that Jesus often draws near to us in moments of discouragement when we may be downcast, but often in those moments we fail to see him and the resurrected Christ before us. Let me read from you a, um, an, uh, an email that I got from one of our church planters in Glasgow, Scotland. So Pete is planted or has since planted a church in a scheme called Barlunnock, right in the south end of Glasgow. And he wrote this, 18 months ago, we set out on this journey to plant a new gospel-centered church in this scheme. At that stage, our plans were to gather a team, cement our vision, start reaching out with the gospel to the many lost around us. A year into the full-time journey, we had over 15 adults who were professing faith and working towards this vision. We were encouraged. People, it seemed, were coming to know Jesus. The next stage in our plan was to meet together formally on a Sunday. So we made a plan. April the 2nd, that would be our first official service. We'd prayed about this for months, for years in fact. Everything seemed to be falling into place. It seemed this truly was the purpose of the Lord. But then it all fell apart. People who had been professing faith and growing abruptly hit the wall and they gave up. Others who were going strong for the Lord slowly but surely fell away. Some who had been working towards the vision were called to move elsewhere. Others who had been on board with our vision realized our theological convictions didn't align. What looked from the outside as a thriving group of Christians slowly began to unravel. We're now back to the original seven in our group, which we started with. In this ministry, We've had to deal with personal and spiritual attack after attack. We've faced our houses being pelted with eggs and stones, letters of opposition being written, rumors and false accusations spread, Christians telling us that our vision is mad, will never happen, a team being bullied for playing their part. Despite the roughest of times, he has held us fast. But surely, Surely the implosion of our church planting team right before the launch was not God's plan. Certainly it wasn't our plan. But this is not the end. This is not failure. This is the mighty hand of God bringing his purposes to pass. Despite an abundance of evidence that might suggest otherwise, we are convinced that we are exactly where God wants us to be. Why? Because there are thousands of lost people in this community that need to hear the words of the gospel. Because we still have this treasure, admittedly in weak and failing jars of clay, that alone will bring hope to the hopeless. Because Barlunnock, like every scheme and community in our land, still needs to know Jesus. And so we are convinced that this will be for God's glory, that he is making it clear that he alone 
will build his church. And he is showing that the world, showing the world that this is all down to him. We didn't plan it this way. The Lord did. And for that, we are glad. And today that was written three years ago. Today, Barlanic, our Hope Community Church in Barlanic is a thriving, growing church in the middle of that community. About 40 people are gathering each week. They're seeing people come to faith and growing in their faith in the Lord. Many of them overcoming years of heroin addiction and drug addiction and alcohol abuse and other forms of uh, uh, mental health struggles. And yet we see a church that's emerged out of nothing in that community. I shared that story because sometimes we can ignore the power that God has over everything. We can forget that he is the almighty, the all-powerful, the majestic, masterful, in control of all things. We can be blinded by our own circumstances into making an assumption about God and his power and his wisdom on display. We can be spiritually blind as Christians and as churches. And we could certainly know that the world outside of Christ is cast into a spiritual blindness, unable to see Jesus. So I want us to ask the question this morning, what is it right now that maybe you're experiencing in your life that is preventing you from seeing what Jesus is doing? What is it that is causing you to fail to see Jesus? We come to the story of, of these men, these disciples, followers of Jesus after the resurrection of Christ, making their way home to their hometown, Emmaus. Luke is writing this story, and, and Luke writes as a doctor, but also as a journalist. He is forensically presenting the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in, here in this chapter, he is giving us an account of what happens on the day of the resurrection of Jesus. And so much has happened in the hours before that event. The women have gone to the tomb early in the morning to honor their Lord with spices. And they get to the tomb and, and they're stunned to see there is no stone, no seal, no soldier. An angel appears to them and asks them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And these women, these, they run back to the house where the disciples are and where they're hiding out. And they tell them this incredible news. And the disciples, they struggle to believe what the women are telling them. And so John and Peter run to the tomb. Peter looks in. He is astonished. And he returns to them amazed at what he has seen. And then we come to this account. The accounts of these two disciples. And they're not amongst the apostles. They're not amongst the 11 in the upper room of the apostles, but they were certainly there in that moment. We know that as we read this story. They heard the testimony of the women. These men seem to be close followers of Jesus. They followed Jesus into Jerusalem that week. And it appears that they were there in the house and they heard the testimony of the women. These are two credible eyewitnesses. And yet they refused to believe. In this moment, they couldn't see Jesus they did not accept the testimony of the women or the testimony of Peter and John. They could not accept that Jesus, their supposed king, would be condemned as a criminal, 
dies such a humiliating death. To them, to them, that meant that Jesus was perhaps a fraud. They weren't having it. They'd lost hope and confidence in their idea of who Jesus was. And so they get up that morning, they hear the testimony of the women, the testimony of Peter and John, but they get up and they walk home, refusing to believe what these women and what these men are saying. One commentator said this, death and resurrection form no part of their concept of Messiah's office and program, which is why they had not really taken in what Jesus had said about his coming death. They were hoping for a Messiah who would break the imperialist domination by the Romans by force of arms, a Messiah who managed to allow himself to be caught by Jewish authorities, handed over to the Romans and crucified before he had even begun to organize any guerrilla operations, popular uprising, or open warfare, what use was he now to them? If the Old Testament prophesied a liberator who should not die but be triumphant, Jesus was already disqualified because he had died. And that it was almost irrelevant to them to talk about resurrection. Verses 14 and 15 of this chapter tells us that as they are uh, making their journey to Emmaus, they have been deep in discussion about the events of that past week. They're in heated discussion. You know, they're confused. They're totally perplexed what's happening. They're, they're, they're sharing with each other. How could we have missed this? What is going on? How could we have, have been so duped? Their dashed hopes, their empty dreams, their reputation, their failed investment of all their hopes. The hysteria of the other disciples. And so they walk back. They're faithless. They are followers, but they're not believers. They're followers of Jesus. They, they want to believe in the idea of Jesus, but they, they don't truly believe in the words of Jesus. There's sometimes seasons of spiritual discouragement that we can experience as well. Even us as followers of Jesus, we can go through seasons and we fail to trust in the word and truly believe in the promises of Christ. Maybe when People hurt us, leave us. When we ourselves are dealing with sickness or chronic pain, when we feel alone, it's easy to fall into a place of darkness when a gloomy cloud may rest upon us and we fail to see the promises of God that is being fulfilled in our own lives. Think about the week they've just had. On Monday, Jesus was heralded as a great king as he enters Jerusalem. On Sunday, his followers walk out those same city gates, feeling utterly defeated. But then, then, as they are walking, quite unexpectedly, look, look who shows up. It says Jesus draws near to them. Striking, isn't it? That Jesus, he doesn't appear in some startling flash of glory. There are no pillars of smoke or flames of fire. He is not dazzling bright. There are no angelic heralds. The earth does not shake. But rather, Jesus in that moment just simply walks alongside them. Yet these two men, who had just been in deep conversation about Jesus, 
they fail to recognize him. It's difficult to work out why they did not recognize him, other than the fact that they weren't expecting to see him. Notice too that Jesus doesn't introduce himself. He didn't say, hey, remember me? I think it's a really important note for us to to point out that those with eyes to see and ears to hear will know him when he comes. His sheep will recognize his voice, and when he calls their name, there will be no flash arrival onto the scene, no announcement of his appearing. He simply draws near to us in our disbelief. We are not saved because we've witnessed some extraordinary supernatural miracle in our life. Rather, we are saved because Jesus drew near to us when we were least expecting him. We are saved by faith alone. And this is still the way that that Jesus is saving people. God's word saves. This is why in 20 Schemes, we're raising up church planting missionaries and sending them into communities where there are no believers so, so simply they can live as Christians in the midst of an, uh, the unreached, unengaged people, people who do not want Jesus, do not know Jesus, and would not recognize Jesus if Jesus showed up. But the people of Christ walk into that community and just simply draw near to them in order to point them out, point them to the living God. That's why we plant churches. We are powerless to save anyone, but God's word will bring life to the lost. It is his word that has power to save. But everything that has just happened is Jesus, you've got to think about this. So, so the, the, these followers, these disciples of Jesus, they are perplexed and confused. But if only they had stopped to think, everything that had happened in that week Jesus had told them what's going to happen. Everything that had happened had happened just as Jesus himself had said, and yet they still don't believe. Has anything happened to, to Jesus in that week that Jesus himself had not warned them would happen? He told them that he would be handed over to the authorities. He told them that he would be arrested and soon condemned. He told them that he would die and three days later he would be exalted. Everything had gone according to his plan. And it's not like he had hidden his plan. He had told his disciples what would happen. And yet they still didn't believe. Their problem was not that things were not going according to God's plan. Rather, their problem is the fact that things were not going according to their plan. So Jesus himself comes to them, and they do not see him. And he reveals himself to them. In our seasons of discouragement or disbelief, in our seasons of doubt, when we struggle to believe in the promises of God, look, you do not need a change of circumstance to see the power of God at work in your own life. You need a change of heart to see the living God. How easy is it for us to fall into moments of despair? How easy is it for us to fail to see Jesus in just the ordinary routine of our own walk with him? That they had lost hope. They had not seen Jesus because they had not recognized their need for Jesus. They needed a savior to atone for their sins, not a political leader or a miracle worker who had promised them an easier life now. We need to see our sin and our need for a savior before we will see our savior. 
So they fail to see him. They also fail to hope in him. He asks them, what are you discussing? And they stop and they stand still, totally taking it back. Like, what is this man? Where has he been? And it seemed like such an utterly ridiculous question to ask. The, what just happened in Jerusalem is the talk. Everybody's talking about what has happened in Jerusalem. The, the crucifixion of Jesus, this miracle worker, this, this heretic that they claimed this blasphemer had been killed. Everybody was talking about it. So for somebody to come up alongside them and ask the question, what is it that you are discussing? This afternoon, I'm going to go to Phoenix Airport, get on a plane and fly. It's kind of like somebody walking into the airport and asking me, why is everybody wearing masks? Like, where have you been? You know, where, where have you been for the last year? You know, that's, that's what's happening. That's, that's why they're stunned. They're taking it back by this stranger meeting them on the road and asking them, what are you talking about? And so they recount all that had happened. And they know all the facts. Look what they say. Jesus lived. He, and he was condemned. He was crucified. He was buried. And now that some women are saying he rose again. But they got all the right facts. Look how they describe Jesus. They said he was a prophet. That was the speaking in past tense. Prophet means teacher. No longer are they looking for as due to Jesus as a Messiah or as God, they have brought him in, into, they're brought into the lie that Jesus is nothing more than a good man and a powerful preacher. They say this, that they had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Hoped, past tense. They'd lost hope in Jesus. They had hoped that he would redeem Israel. They failed to understand who Jesus was, but they also failed to understand what redemption was. They believed that redeeming Israel would mean liberation from Roman rule. They were expecting an earthly king to bring a political revival to the kingdom of Israel. False hope will always lead to disappointment. If you follow Jesus for any other reason than to be redeemed of our sin and to, to stand before a holy God as his and his alone. If you follow Jesus so that you might have a happier life or a healthier life, if you follow Jesus because you think that he is the path to, to riches and success in your life or a happier marriage, then you will be disappointed in Jesus. He doesn't promise you those things. If you follow him for an easier and simpler life, then you will be disappointed. But if you follow him because you are a sinner, in need of a redeemer, then he will fulfill every hope you have of him. They say even the women say he is alive. Here's the sad state that these men are in. Jesus himself had promised that in three days he would rise. And the women have given testimony that an angel declared, he is risen. The apostles have been back to the tomb, found it empty, and the resurrected Jesus is now standing with them, and yet they're still not believing it. They consider it nonsense. They cannot get beyond the tragedy of the cross to get to the reality of the resurrection. What tragedy in your life, or disappointment in your life, or discouragement that you are facing right now that is keeping you from seeing and trusting in the resurrected Jesus. 
We need to see beyond the tragedy and to see the power and the glory of the risen Lord. But then Jesus reveals himself to them. They fail to see him. They fail to hope in him. But then their hearts burn for him. He says, Jesus, that their problem is not the lack of evidence, but the lack of understanding. He calls them foolish. Oh, you foolish men. We can often have all the facts right about Jesus, but come up to all the wrong conclusions about him. And so he says, oh, what fools. They have the scriptures, but they've not looked into them or understood them. And how many of us, we we have the Bible in our hands and, and we never look within to discover Jesus. How many of us look to our troubles, our dashed hopes, our fears, our worries, and we come to a conclusion about who God is and what he has for our life. We fail to see Jesus. Jesus tells them that they are slow of heart for they fail to believe the prophets and the scriptures that speak about Jesus. He calls their thinking foolish. What about our thinking? He says that they fail to understand the teachings of the prophets. There are so many people who who know the Bible, read the Bible, memorize the Bible, sing songs about the Bible, come to churches that claim to proclaim the Bible, and yet they still fail to see Jesus for who he truly is. Jesus teaches them the Bible. And it's in the Bible that we encounter the living God. He points them to Genesis where Christ is the seed of the woman who will crush Satan's head. In Exodus where Christ is the sacrificial lamb given for us. In Leviticus where Christ is our great high priest. In Deuteronomy where Jesus is the greater prophet. In Joshua where Jesus Christ is the captain of the army. In Judges, where Jesus is the greater deliverer. In Ruth, Boaz is the kinsman who redeemed Ruth, but Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, Jesus is seen as the anointed son of David. In 2 Samuel, Jesus is the greater king of kings. In the book of Kings, Jesus is that presence of God that fills the temple in the midst of his people. In the Psalms, Jesus is the good shepherd that walks alongside us. In Isaiah, Jesus is that wonderful counselor born of a virgin. In Jeremiah, Jesus is the man of sorrows. In Joel, the spirit comes and brings glory to the risen Lord. In Amos, Jesus is that judge of all nations. In Obadiah, Jesus ushers in an eternal kingdom. In Jonah, Jesus is a prophet that is resurrected after three days. In Zechariah, Jesus is the king riding on a colt. And in Malachi, Jesus is that son of righteousness from the city of David. Jesus is on every page. And if you miss that, you miss the whole point of the Bible. After Jesus had taken his time to explain all these truths from the Bible, to open their eyes to who he is, they are utterly gripped. They're transfixed. And they urge him, stay with us. Come and eat with us. And so he offers to stay with them. You see, when Jesus begins to reveal himself to us, he becomes utterly irresistible to us. 
And we want more and more and more of this Jesus as he is revealed in the scriptures. Has that been your experience of Christ when you've listened to the word preached, opened the word, prayed to the word, sung the word, you become gripped and transfixed on the living God? And so they gather at a table, they sit and they eat, and the word of God is not just something that we read, but the word of God, it creates something in us. The word of God, it creates faith in us. It's designed to build something in us. And the word of God establishes fellowship with God. It is through the word of God that we hear the very voice of God. And so they sit at the table with Jesus and he breaks bread and their eyes are opened. And now they see, now they see that Jesus had to die so that their sins might be atoned for. Now they see that Jesus Christ laid down his life for them and the curse of death was lifted and this Jesus rose forth from the grave. Their eyes are opened and they see Jesus. What a sight, what a moment. What a moment we get to experience every time Christians fellowship together around the word of God, around the table of God. In this moment, we truly get to see Jesus. When they finally realize who this man is, has been with them, walking with them, when they finally see him, when they finally have their eyes opened and their dead hearts begin to beat and their failed dreams make way for a renewed hope. The totally unexpected happens. Jesus vanishes. When they could see him, he disappears. Why? Why would Jesus in that moment disappear? When the moment when they recognize him, when they're longing for him, when they're desperate for him, why would he leave? Because we walk by faith, not by sight. If Jesus did not vanish, they would never have left the table. They had work to do. And they go, and they become his witnesses. You know what's extraordinary? They get up, and they go back to Jerusalem. Back to the city that they were so desperate to leave behind and they say did not our hearts burn that is faith that is true saving faith a burning desire for Jesus a burning passion for Jesus a burning passion that would cause them to get up and to go back to the very people of God that they would go to the word of God and Jesus would teach them and their hearts burned for more of him. May our churches be defined as being men and women with hearts that burn for the living God every time the word of God is opened. That is faith. Let Jesus teach us. Let his spirit reveal the resurrected Christ to us. And let us go to the the word to encounter the living God. And may our hearts burn and truly transform us from from fearless to faith. Does your heart burn for Jesus? 
Does he thrill you? Does he excite you? Does he amaze you? Does he astonish you? When our hearts burn, we, we just have to tell someone about him. Where is your passion? I love Tasha's story. Tasha is one of our interns in Scotland. She grew up in a scheme in Edinburgh. She grew up from a broken home, drinking since the age of 14, living her life for the next high one Easter Sunday, she reluctantly walked into the church there in Nidri, and she hears the gospel that Jesus died for her sins, and her, her heart began to burn for this Jesus. She said, I began to believe in this Jesus, a God who I was angry in for all of my life, angry even though I never truly believed in him, and now this God I began to hope in. She quickly told her mother, her brother, her friends. They ridiculed her. They mocked her. They cast her out. She even was cast out of the very house she was living in, but she was undeterred. Today, many in her family have come to put their own hope in Jesus Christ because of her witness. These men returned to Jerusalem. They had just finished walking that long journey away from Jerusalem, but they had no, as they're walking to Emmaus, they had no intention of going back there. They were done with the disciples. They were finished with them, but now they could not wait to get back to them. No longer walking in despair, now running with hope. God changes us. He transforms us. But notice, nothing about their situation had changed. Nothing about their circumstances had changed. The only thing that had changed was their hearts had come alive and they'd seen the living God. God had transformed them and now their lives were to be a display of God's glory because in that moment they became sons and daughters of God. Friends, I pray that you this morning would know the risen Lord who has drawn near to us even now, who is seeking to reveal himself to you even in this moment. He is here. He is with us. May our hearts burn. And where do we run when we find Jesus? We run to the very people of God. We go and find his church, and we become his witnesses. That's what he demands of us. Run to his word and see Jesus. Walk alongside his people and be his witnesses. The witnesses that says we have seen the living God, and now our hearts burn for him. The Lord is risen. So let us see him. Let our hearts burn for him. This is our confident hope now and always. Amen. Let me pray. Father, help us in perhaps our seasons of trial or discouragement or disbelief to, to continue to see the risen Lord. Help us to trust in his promises, help us to open the word and to know him. May our hearts burn for him. Lord, I pray that over this church, Trinity Bible Church, Bible 
church. I pray, Lord, that this church may truly believe and yearn for more of you. I pray over anyone here this morning who is going through a season of trial or discouragement, that, Father, that they might trust in you and your promises. And Lord, if anyone be here this morning who is walking in their life without you, I pray that you would come now and draw up alongside them and open their hearts, open their eyes, even as we break bread in a few moments. May they see Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we'd be your witnesses, that we might live out our lives as a display of your glory, that we might be witnesses to the risen Lord. Do this, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.